Thank you, Carrie. Did you sing that because I mentioned it last week in the service? I tell you, last week, I think I mentioned the service. I called the hits early in the week, and, and Amanda and Luke, and I said, would you be able to sing Sunday night? And, you know, you don't have to, but I'd hope somebody, maybe you could sing Leave It There, or God Makes No Mistakes, or He Giveth More Grace. Uh, any one of those would be fine, and I don't care if Amanda sings or Luke sings, take, go to it. And they texted back and said, how about if we both sing a duet, and we'll sing uh, he giveth more grace. So tonight we got to hear Leave It There. It's a good good song for this thing we're going through. Take your Bibles, please, if you will, and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. You know, I kind of like the way we're sitting in the auditorium. I really do, I, especially this morning and tonight, too, because it's like, it's like there's people everywhere. I like that. I mean, it's just like you said, clump over here. I'm not calling you clumps, but, you know, clump over here, little clump over here, little click over here. You know what a click is, don't you? You know what a click is, definition of a click? It's a bunch of squares that all run around the same circle, okay? But you got this little group over here. You got a little group over here. Now they, they kind of forced us to, to branch out, you know, kind of scatter out. So I kind of like this. And when everybody's back next week, it'll even be better. Ephesians 5, I don't think we need to be doing any reviewing because, you know, surely you can remember everything that I preached this morning. Surely we don't have to go back and tell you what the series is all about and and where we find walking in these different chapters in Ephesians and what we talked about last week and what we talked about this morning. We just get right on into it tonight. So turn to Ephesians chapter 5, please, beginning at verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Three key words, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And we looked at those three words this morning, not go over them again tonight, but simply to say now that that is the introduction of the theme of verses 10 through 14. And the message here for us in verses 9 through 14 kind of goes like this. Now that we are children of light, Now that we've been born again, it ought to be manifested in our lives. It ought to be revealed in our life. And so we said this morning that when a person is in the family of God, when he he is a child of light, first of all, he will produce the fruit of the Spirit in his life. That was the morning message in verse 9. Now, number two, this will always be characteristic of a true believer. He will be discerning. He will be a person of spiritual discernment. And that message is found in verse 10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Now, if that was a scripture memory verse, you already got it down. Amen? That's just a little harder than Jesus wept and rejoiced evermore, but it's pretty close. All right? So let's say it together, please. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Now, that's not a hard verse to quote. doesn't take much to learn that. But it's not always easy to be lived out. And I think this is one of the most needed areas today in preaching the Word of God in our churches. Passages like this and verses like verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So let's kind of work our way through this passage tonight. First of all, with beginning at verse 10, what does the word proving mean? Because this is key. This is key. What is the definition of the Greek word proving? All right, here it is. To test or examine something... For the purpose of approving. 
Again, it sounds like, well, that's what it says. Yeah, I know, but do we understand what that means? Proving what is acceptable to the Lord? It's to test or to examine for the purpose of approving, and that's really not the end of it. Because the implication is, having found that thing which is tested to meet the specifications laid down by the test, and then to place one's sanction or approval upon it, whether it's a person or a thing. You say, well, now that got kind of sophisticated. I got a little long. You kind of think you lost me there. No, it's not that hard, but it is really a, it is really a great definition of what it means to prove. Proving is acceptable unto the Lord. So let me just read it all together now without stopping. Proving, to test or examine for the purpose of approving, and having found that the thing tested meets the specifications laid down by the test, then to place one's sanction or approval on the thing or person tested. There's a good illustration of that, I think, in just a few chapters over. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I could quote this verse for you, but maybe it's good for you to see it. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3 is one of the two passages in Scripture that give the qualifications for the pastor. And it's also the passage of Scripture that gives the biblical qualifications for the deacon. And in chapter 3, verse 10, we read these words about the qualification for a deacon. And let these also first be, what's the next word? Proved. Let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. So if you think of the definition, it's to put a man to the test, to see if he meets the specifications laid down by this test, and hopefully then he will be approved and sanctioned. And you can relate to that. We have in our Constitution some guidelines about a deacon. But it's not like a whole list. It's just really the Constitution is just basically how long does a person have to be a member before he can serve on the deacon board? You say, well, I don't think that's important. I mean, somebody come walking in the door. If he looks godly, get him on the board. Okay? If he comes from a great church, I mean, that ought to do. Get, just get him on the board. Get going here. No, God says it doesn't work like that. Okay? It's a matter of observing a man for a while and see if he's really faithful. See what place the word of God has in his heart and in his life. See if he's a man of prayer. See if he's a man who shows his love for others. See if a man who's faithful in attendance at church and the services and see if he's, if just, what is, his, what is his relationship with Christ? Can he be dependent upon? What about his family? What about his wife? I mean, there's a lot of things. And First Timothy 3 gives those biblical qualifications. One of them being he's got to first be tested and proved before he's ready to serve as a deacon. So back in our text tonight, Ephesians 5.10, we're supposed to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. What does the word acceptable mean or acceptable? It means well-pleasing. Very simply, it means well-pleasing. Now think about this now, because the idea here is regarding spiritual discernment. There are a lot of things out there to do or not do. Amen? And how in the world are we supposed to know what's right and what's wrong? How are we supposed to know? Because people have all kinds of ways of sorting this out and, and trying, to, trying to say, well, okay, I think this is okay. Yeah, I can do that. No, I don't think I can do that. I think that's obviously wrong. Well, that's probably right. And what we do is we kind of look at what we think, how we feel about it, from what we, how, we, how we view things. And then we probably say, okay, now, what about my Christian friends? What's on their list, you know, so to speak? And what do they do, what do they don't do? And, well, he's a pretty good guy, so I think I can kind of follow. Well, she's got a few little problems. So I don't know if we want to go that direction here. It's like, okay, well, then what about churches? What do the, all these churches believe in then? When we get really all desperate, we say, let's just Google it, okay? Google it. 
No, we are supposed to put everything to the test to see if it is approved, if it's well-pleasing to Jesus Christ. And I don't, I don't say this with um, um, joy. I say this with sadness. In the average Christian's mind today, this is probably a fair question. So who cares about Jesus? Who cares about what he thinks? Who cares about what's approved by him? Who cares about what's well-pleasing to him? I mean, I think I can figure this out on my own. I think I've got Christian friends I can rely upon. I'll just go by to church. No, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And I jotted down just a few things here that maybe we want to remember. First of all, and I don't, I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to use the phrase, I don't like the phrase, but here it gives me. You know what I mean, okay? I'm probably going to be misjudged by this, but here we go. He's the one who wrote the rule book. Say, oh, no, we can't be talking about the Bible being a rule book. There's nothing really wrong with that statement. Jesus Christ, God, is the one who wrote the rule book. Amen? He's the one, you don't like that? Okay. He's the one who gives us the standard to go by. Because the standard that we have to have everything checked out by is the Bible. That's the ultimate test. What does God say about this in the word? And so is it really acceptable? Is it well pleasing to Jesus Christ? The answer is, if it's in line with the word, absolutely. If it's not, it's got to go. Well, think about Jesus Christ. People don't care about him anymore. Oh, he's the one who created us. Amen? We owe our existence to him. I think he's pretty important. He's the one who sustained us since he got us born. I mean, he has sustained me now for quite a few years. Don't laugh, please. 75 years, that's a long time to sustain this guy. But I'm still here breathing because of the grace of God, the power of God that Jesus Christ not only created me, he's the one that keeps me alive. And I owe a lot to him. I owe every breath to him. I owe my energy to him. I owe my finances to him. I owe, I owe, I owe everything to him. My time, you can make the list as long as you want to. And, it, and he doesn't matter. He really matters. He made us and he has sustained us. Number three, he's the one who died upon the cross to save us. If we don't think of anybody, anybody, if we don't think about anything else, that's really all we need. I mean, he's our, he's the one who rescued us, so to speak, from the house when it was burning and we were inside. He's the one who saved us when we were uh, fishing above Niagara Falls, you know, and we got a little too close to the falls and it's like, we got a problem here. And he, he's, he's, so to speak, he's the lifeguard, he's the rescue boat, he's whatever. I mean, he, he's... He, he has done for us what no one could ever do. No one could ever die for our sins. No one could ever save us, but Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price. He died in my behalf. He died for me. I think that makes him pretty important. When it comes to some little thing, like, well, can I do that on Friday night or not? Well, you know, uh, okay, well, who died for my soul? Who died for my sins? If it weren't for Christ, I'd go to hell. I think he becomes pretty important. Number four. He not only died on the cross and rose again to save me, but he's the one who forgave me when I believed upon him. I mean, he did the work so that I could believe, but he's also the one who forgave my sins when I repented of my sins and trusted him. He's my savior. Oh, by the way, that's not all. He owns me because the spirit of Christ indwells me. What, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what? Know ye not that your body... This body that decides what am I going to do tonight after church? What am I going to do on Saturday afternoon? And how about Friday night after work? And, you know, is this right or is this wrong? Can I go there? Can I read this? Can I watch that? Can I listen to this? Can I dress like this? Can I whatever else? It's like, 
Well, listen, it's really, it's God's choice. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. How's the rest of the verse go? Do you know? Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. He owns me. He indwells me. Oh, by the way, he's the one to whom I'm accountable. During my life, I'm accountable to him. And after I take my last breath on this earth, I'm accountable to him. 2 Corinthians, what, 5, 9, and 10? We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to they have done, whether it be good or bad. I mean, we will stand before Christ. Romans 10, what, 14, rather? So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And you know, we need to think about that. Because in some sense, as people, we are accountable to different people in our relationships with others. We have accountability factor with children to parents, husband and wife to each other, sometimes uh, team members to a coach and employees to an employer and so forth. Uh, in all different situations of life, there's usually somebody who's over us to whom we are accountable. You say, oh, well, now the pastor, he's not under anybody. He's in charge. No, I'm just an under-shepherd. Don't ever forget that. I'm under the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is huge accountability. But for everything in our lifetime, there's accountability. But while we're alive, listen, we are more accountable to Jesus Christ every day that we're alive than we can ever imagine. And then we take our last breath and we think of standing before him as a believer. Thank God it's not a matter of do we go to heaven or hell, amen? We're not gonna be at the great white throne judgment. But we shall all Christians appear before the judgment, listen now, <clears throat> before the judgment seat of Christ. And I thought about this as I worked on the message, for me and for you. When I stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, would you agree with me? It really won't matter ultimately what I thought about what's right or wrong. It won't matter. It matters to him. And when I stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of my life as a Christian, it really will not matter what anybody else thought or whatever suggestions they give, whatever opinions they offered. It really won't matter. We're not standing before them at the judgment seat of Christ. We're standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really all that matters. And it ought to matter now. I wonder if God is really excited about what he sees today in the lives of his people as we try to sort out what's right, what's wrong, how we know the difference. Or if perhaps God is a little grieved what does Ephesians 4.30 say? Grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. And it ought, listen, it ought to be the desire of all of our hearts and lives every day, to listen now, to be well-pleasing to the Lord, to put a smile on the face of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be grieved? To grieve means to be extreme, extremely sad, to be very sorrowful. And I've said this before, and I say it again. Do not let somebody come along and say, well, this whole idea of, of, of putting a smile on the face of Jesus Christ and, and being acceptable to Jesus Christ and seeking to honor him that he might be pleased, it's just all legalistic teaching. That is not legalistic teaching. This is absolute Bible. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. What is well-pleasing to the Lord. So how do we do this? Verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. How do we do this? Number one, we have, to, we have to examine the scriptures. If we're going to put something to the test and see if it meets approval, if it's well-pleasing to the Lord, how do we do it? We, we have to at least be a, a student of the Bible. 
We have to know what the Bible says because this is, this is the standard to go by. This is that which everything has to be tested by this book. This is God's truth. This is God's eternal true word. It is the standard by which everything has to be judged. And I think part of the problem, Teddy, is that there's so many people that are not knowledgeable of the Bible. They, and I feel sorry for them. They honestly don't know how to discern. They honestly don't know how to figure out what's right or wrong because they don't know enough Bible to help themselves, even if they want to. We must be a student of the scriptures who really wants to know what the word of God says. And that's the second thing. We have to be surrendered. We have to have humility about this thing. We have to be willing to say, listen, I want to know the will of God. I really want to know what's right. I want to know what's wrong about, about anything. I mean, how, how, I, don't, I don't even know where to start in the Bible to figure it out. By the way, I've compiled a list. What is it, 22? I have a list of 22 questions through the years I've put together, a list of 22 questions with Bible verses, at least one or two or sometimes three Bible verses that show where every question comes from. And if you want that list, if you're here tonight, if you're watching on Facebook, if you want that list, it's huge. It'll be a great help to you. Just a question, and then where is that coming from in the Bible? 22, that's a lot. I mean, there's a lot in this book to help us if we want to help. But somebody says, well, why should I want to read those questions? Why should I want to look at those verses? Because I might come across something that I really like doing, but it's like, uh uh-oh, there goes that. You ever thought that? It's like, if I learn too much Bible, it might really restrict me. I mean, I kind of feel restrained right now a little bit, but if I really get into this Bible thing and learn these Bible verses and see these these standards that God has, that could kind of cramp my lifestyle. And, you know, the thing that I really do enjoy doing and I have no problem with might become a problem to me. I don't think I want to go there. I mean, I say this kindly, really sincerely kindly. That is a sad way to live as a Christian. Would you agree with that? It's really a sad way to live. And it doesn't sound, I'm not saying you're not saved. It doesn't sound like the mind and heart of a true Christian to ever say, if I learn more of the Bible, it might cramp my style and I would lose some fun. I, I would hope that everyone tonight in this room, every single person who names the name of Christ, I would hope that you would have a heart that says, listen, the most important thing is not what do I want, what do I think? The most important thing is not what is anybody or everybody else saying. The most important thing is, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And with your help, I'm going to be a student of your word. I, I want to have an open mind, an open heart that is submissive to your will. And if you show me something in my life that needs to change, it will be a privilege indeed to change it. That's the heart of a true believer who is walking with the Lord. So there must be a knowledge of God's word and there must be a humble heart that surrenders to the Lord in his word. We're going to come right back here, but go to Romans chapter 12 for just a moment. Romans chapter 12. You know the first two Rome, the verse the first two verses of Romans chapter 12, right? Romans 12:1 and 2. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. See, that's the surrender part. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't, don't be... Don't let the world stamp you into its molds off in the phrase we hear. Don't let your lifestyle be conformed to the world, but rather make sure your lifestyle is conformed to Christ within. That's the meaning there. And be saturated with the word of God. But look at the last part of verse 2. That ye may prove, there's that word prove, there it is, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How wonderful that we can put everything to the test We can be saved, we can be surrendered to the Lord, we can be separated from the world, we can be saturated with the word of God, and as a result, what we basically are doing is putting ourselves in a place where we we can prove what is God's perfect will for our lives. It's a wonderful thing. Dr. Frank Gabling said this, those who live as children of light, in verse 8, will continually be endeavoring to ascertain what is the will of God in every situation so that they, so that all that they do may satisfy him. So that's the first step here. The result of being saved and having this goodness, righteousness, and truth and living in those three things is that we, it will always lead to a desire of discernment knowing I have the will of God to consider and I want to know what's well-pleasing to the Lord. Number two, this person will separate himself from all evil works and then he'll go the next step also. He will reprove those who do those things. Look at verses 11 and 12. We spent most of our time on 10. Just briefly, please, 11, 12, and then 13 and 14. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Once again, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Fellowship means to share in company with, to co-participate with, to be a partaker of. And it says, have no fellowship with, none whatsoever, no fellowship with, no co-participation with, no sharing in, not being a partaker of the unfruitful works of darkness. Well, what is an unfruitful work of darkness? Answer, three letters. What's an, what, what, is an unfru- what is any unfruitful work of darkness? What is it? Sin, that's what it is. And we're not going to go back. You can read especially Ephesians 4, the whole chapter. And you can read the beginning of chapter 5. Remember, I had a whole list of them last week on Sunday morning from chapter 5, verses, what, 4, 5, and 6 there. I mean, it's like anything that is contrary to the word of God is an is a, is an un, is a, is a, a unfruitful work of darkness. It's of the flesh. It's of the devil. It's of the world. It's not pleasing to the Lord. And God says, no, no, don't go there. Do not join in with that. Do not participate in anything that is sinful. Have no fellowship, no participation with the unfruitful works of darkness. But he says, rather, reprove them. What do you think it means to reprove? Just guess. Reprove. What's a synonym? What does it mean? Again, try it. I heard correct. I heard chasing. That's part of it. Mainly, really, to rebuke. Did anybody say rebuke? 
to reprove is to rebuke. Definition of reprove. It's speaking out against. Uh, God says, God says, don't just separate yourself from it. Say something. Now, how do we reprove sin? We can reprove sin in one of two ways. We can reprove it silently by simply walking away, right? We don't have to say a word. We just, we just don't participate. Like it's like getting close to a Super Bowl and you're at work. I often give this illustration. And all the guys, all the people in the office are putting in all their bets and everybody's putting in their money in. And then whoever gets the closest to the final score, etc., then you get all the money. And everybody's doing it. It's kind of the annual fun thing here. And you just don't participate. If you never say a word, somebody will figure out, I think he has a problem with this. And that becomes a silent rebuke. Reproving without saying a word. But then there's also the time when it's wrong just to walk away and not say anything. And sometimes, in fact, I think sometimes we're not careful. We really don't want people to know why we're not participating because it might cause us some a little friction there. It might cost a little, there might be a little persecution. We might get a little uh, jeering. We might get a little a hard time here. Hey, well, listen, we might even jeopardize our job here. And it's like, I don't know if this is worth saying anything about. I just, I'm not going to participate, but I hope nobody asks me why. You know, kind of the, the coward's way out. No, sometime we just do, we're just not in it. We, we just don't do it. And other times when God really speaks to us and says, well, don't just leave them wondering. Tell them why. Say something. It's all here. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Reprove, to refute, to admonish, to convict, to convince, to tell a fault, to rebuke. I mean, it's all in the definition. And you know, we don't do that much anymore. I, I, I could preach a whole message on just why don't we? But I don't have time to do that tonight. It is not easy. I think all of us would admit it is not easy to go the next step and just say, I'm not going to be involved in that. I'm not going to join in that sin. I will not do that. That's not always really hard, but the hard part is then opening our mouth and telling somebody why we don't. And it's, and it it's got to be more than just, I just don't believe it's right. You know, I just, I just, I don't, it doesn't sound like fun to me. You know, it's like, I don't know, I just feel, com- I don't, I just feel, I just don't feel comfortable about it. It's like, no, I can't do that because I believe the Bible's the word of God. Jesus Christ is my savior. And there's a verse in the Bible that really does include this situation. And I don't want to be offensive to you, but let me just read it to you. Let me just tell you what God says. Hope you understand, okay? However you want to say it. But if you're going to speak out against sin, there, listen now, there has to be a biblical basis for your disagreement. There has to be a Bible reason that you have chosen to say no. And so we're right back again to do we know what the Bible says because that is the ultimate authority that everything has to be judged by. And if we're going to not participate, there's got to be a biblical reason. And if we say something, it's got to be more than I just, you know, hey, how does this go? Well, I just, you know, our, 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 church doesn't believe, our church doesn't think it's right. Does that sound good to you? That's a poor report. Yeah, our church just doesn't believe it's good. Man, don't do that. Yeah, our pastor one time, he, he said he didn't think that was a good idea. Oh, really? Your pastor may think it's a great idea. 
You know, it's not the church. It's not the pastor. It's like, what does the Bible say? So God says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Oh, he goes another step. He tells us something else to consider. Look at this. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Would you agree with me, please? Listen, I hope you will. We don't have to know about everything bad out there. Can I say it again? We don't have to know about everything out there that's bad. I don't even know the reference. I think somewhere in Romans, maybe 16 someplace, you know. We should be simple concerning evil. We don't have to know all the bad stuff. And I'll tell you something else. Some things, God says, they are so bad, we don't ever even talk about them. It's a shameful thing even to speak about some things that are done by sinners, usually in private. So we don't have to know all the junk out there. And I think sometimes, in fact, oh, I don't want to give another illustration, but I think sometimes parents need to be careful here because they think, well, if I shelter my child too much, if I don't just let him experiment a little bit, you know, and try these things and so forth, then, you know, when he grows up, he's going to whatever goes through your mind. Don't be thinking like that. Don't be thinking like that. Say, well, I, I know it's bad myself, you know, but he's, you know, he's just got to find out for himself. No, if you know it's bad for yourself, if you know it's wrong, then you ought to do all that you can to keep your child, your young person, from doing something that's wrong. And sometimes it's something you don't even talk about. There are so many, and I've said this so many times in this pulpit, and I say it again, my heart really sincerely, deeply goes out for children and junior high and senior high young people today because they are exposed to so much. It is incredible. My wife was having devotions the other day. Out quite often like she does, she'll run through McDonald's, get a Coke, and sit out at the parking lot at Ollie's and have her devotions. And after her devotions, she turned on the radio because she thought Jay Vernon was McGee. She said, I kind of like the guy, you know, okay, Jay Vernon McGee. But he wasn't on. You know who was on? James Dobson, Focus on the Family. And he was talking about social media. He was talking about the Internet. He was talking about cell phones and what he believes that they have done in the minds of people today, the lives of people, including Christians. And she said, Larry, I wish you could have heard what he said. Especially, I wish you could have heard what he said about children, what he said about junior high young people, what he said about senior high young people. She said, you would have been shouting, Amen, that's right, exactly. She said, I wish you could have heard him. It was so good. But she said, if I remember, I hope I don't quote him, if I did, shake your hand. Somewhere in there, not your hand, shake your head. Somewhere in there, I think he said, in my opinion, children should never have a smartphone. Did he say that? He said, children do not need a smartphone. He said, man, I'm glad I wasn't in that program. Children, I know what you think now. You never want to hear you know, Jim, James Dobson, okay. But he gave some reasons, and I mean, they really, they really made good sense. You say, what's this all about? Because children and young people, they are, and he mentioned this, we have no idea 
what they are seeing and listening to and watching and what they're learning just with a just with a swipe just with a little tap to a website to an article to a whatever it's like oh why wouldn't we want to shelter from that all we can just keep them from it he says it is a shame even to speak of those things done of in secret. And then look at 13 and 14, just a couple of comments and we're finished. Look at this. But all things that are that all but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Just especially verses 13, please. Especially verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So the fourth thing about a Christian, he will be serving the Lord by revealing God's standard of good and evil to others. So could I summarize? You know, I just make a statement. I can explain verse 13, I think, in one sentence. Here it goes. By our obedient actions, what actions? Separating ourselves from and reproving evil works, we will be serving God, assisting him in revealing to mankind what is really wrong, what is disapproved by God, what is sinful, what is evil, and what is really right, what is approved by God, what is right, what is okay. In other words, it's the word of God, the light of God's word that reveals, that manifests whether something is right or wrong. And so how in the world are people unsaved people? Unsaved people ever supposed to figure out what is right and what is wrong. Not that they want to know necessarily. Not that they even care. Not that they're planning to change anything. It's just like, how are they supposed to even know? The answer is, by what they see in the life of a Christian. Because we are children of light. We are people of the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my, in my path. Jesus is the light of the world. And light manifests what's what. Everything in the world is, is revealed by light. You say, turn the light on. Hey, the other day, I was uh, walking through someplace in the church, and I saw something move along, and I thought, well, what is that? You know, I turned on the light. It was a big old cricket. You say, what would you do? I'm sorry, I killed it. Okay. Well, you... Insect lovers out there, you know, I killed it. I didn't know what it was until I turned the light on. A big old cricket. You know, light reveals things. Light manifests things. And so the question is, how in the world is anybody in the whole world supposed to know what matches up to God's truth? How, how are people supposed to know? Where do you draw the line? What's a work of darkness? What's a work of light? What's something that God's for? What's something that God's against? What's pleasing to God and what is it that God doesn't like? How are they supposed to know? Light manifests. Light reveals. Light shows forth the truth. And by the way, have you ever heard this, have you ever heard this statement? You are the only Bible that... Can you finish it? Absolutely. You are the only Bible that some people will ever read. They'll never read one page of the Bible. But God's word, God's Bible, manifests the mind of God. And when a person observes a Christian, 
He may not want what he sees. He may not like what he sees. He may not want to go there. He may not want that lifestyle. He, he, may want, he, want, he may have no desire to even talk to you and see why you do what you do or what you're thinking about here. What about this? He, he, may, he may absolutely not care, but doesn't he deserve the privilege of knowing, well, she's a Christian, so I guess this is how God feels about things. Well, he's a believer in Christ. So I guess maybe he probably knows the Bible. I don't know the Bible. And they, in their mind, they can sort some things out. They can figure some things out just by observing the lifestyle, the walk of a believer. And so we do what we do because of the Bible. We do what we do because we've sought the will of God. We've sought discernment. And so look at the passage and we'll close in prayer, beginning at verse 8. For ye were sometime darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is even a shame to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved, are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and Christ, excuse me, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads tonight in prayer, please. Simple questions tonight before we close. So how are you doing with discernment? That's where it has to start. I'm saved. I'm no longer a child of Satan. I no longer walk in darkness and sin. But I want to walk in the light as children of light. I want to know the will of God. I want to know what's well-pleasing to my Savior. So that takes discernment. How are you doing it? Discernment. Number two. How are you doing tonight at separating yourself from anything that doesn't meet the test? It doesn't match up to God's word. It do, it's not well-pleasing unto the Lord as revealed in his word, the Bible. How are you doing about that? Are you separate? Not having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness? Number three tonight, how are you doing at this reproving thing? Are you just separating yourself from sin but not ever say anything about it? Nobody really knows why you do what you do, why you don't do what you know. No, nobody ever knows about that because you're, you're silent and you think somehow they're going to figure it out. No, they're not going to figure it out unless we tell them. So we don't just separate ourselves from sin. That's a good start. That's one kind of reproof, but we go the next step. We speak out. And then finally tonight, are we serving Jesus Christ by revealing God's standard of right and wrong, light and darkness, truth, by our lifestyle? So that the light is turned on and people come to figure out, oh, well, according to God, that must be bad. According to Christ, according to Jesus, that must be a good thing. Because that's what they do. See, it's not just the negatives. Maybe we've said too much about negatives tonight. What about the positive, the other side? Oh, I guess God expects that of people because that's what our neighbors do and they're Christians. See, it's both sides. 
Father, tonight I pray you would speak to us. We feel that we fall so far short of being what you would expect of us, what you desire for us. And yet it seems so easy as we study your word to know your mind about these things. Even today, Father, it seems like there's so much cutting corners, compromise here, a compromise there. So difficult today, Lord, to distinguish many times between a a true believer and an unsaved person. I pray that we might let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father, you, as you're in heaven. And may our, may our light, Father, be that which not only leads them to know a little bit about what you think or what your Bible says, but may we, may we be used of you, Father, I pray tonight as tools or instruments to help them say, you know, I need the Lord. I need, I need, I need to be saved. I don't match up. I'm a sinner. Help us, I pray, to be witnesses, spokesmen, proclaimers, evangelists, Father, to share the gospel of Christ with those who need the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, please, if we could tonight.